Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, I've been saying for quite a number of months that we are in the midst of probably one of the greatest shifts in uh, the church in the the history of the world, uh, at at least since the founding of the church. And uh, a lot of things are changing and a lot of things are changing are going to become very different from what we see now. You know, for example, one of the big issues that has been, that has just grown up more and more and more over the last 20, 30, 40 years has actually been what we'd call Christian celebrities. Uh, it's almost come to the point where in the church, uh, you, you have all these celebrity people, the celebrity teachers, the celebrity leaders. Uh, all of them are writing the books and, and things like that. And, and some of them are really great, and some of them are not so great. And it's been interesting, as I've talked with a number of friends who have worked a number of conferences over the years, some of whom have some very, very significant names. If I'd name the names, which I won't do that, but if I name the names, most of you would recognize a number of these. Uh, my friends have told me time after time about how rude and demanding and inflexible uh, and generally dismissive of people that they don't see as their equals that a number of these celebrities are. In fact, uh, I've seen so many times over the years, I, I, I knew, I, I saw the shift happening uh, toward Christian celebrities when Back in uh, the 1980s, at the beginning part of the 1980s, there was a Christian musician who fell into adultery, and immediately his record label canceled his record deal. Uh, He was very, very popular, very famous at the time. The record label canceled uh, the record deal. Uh, They they took his his CDs out of circulation and and took very, very quick and strong action because of his unfaithfulness. Uh, without even finding out, you know, the, all the circumstances of which went on. And by the, the latter part of the 1980s, another Christian celebrity fell into the same kind of sin 
And this Christian celebrity, everybody was saying, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. Uh, the person's uh, CDs were still out there. They were still encouraged to make more CDs because the power of Christian celebrity dumb had grown to the extent that it was making a lot of money for a lot of people. And so people in the church were beginning to get lax with regard to attitudes about sin for the sake of the celebrity and what the celebrity was doing and the money that the celebrity was making. And we've had that, and that's actually grown since the 1980s up until today. But we're going to see the day come when God is going to begin to destroy that celebrity mentality from the church. Because when you look at the founders of Christianity from Jesus himself all the way down to Peter and even to Paul that we're reading about today, uh, there certainly was not the cult of celebrity around any of those guys. And yet God used them to change the world rather significantly. And in this text that we read today from Philippians, I think Paul is, in in what he's saying here, there are three things that come out of this text that I think represent significant shifts that are happening right now in the body of Christ, around the world, and particularly in the West. And these shifts are absolutely fundamental for us to understand and not only understand, but also make sure that we're shifting along with them because ultimately they are shifts not away from the Bible, but they're actually shifts back to the Bible and away from some of the things that have happened over the last 50 years in particular in Western Christianity. And so we need to see what Paul is saying and understand these shifts because they're absolutely significant because people who don't understand them or people who don't integrate themselves into them will end up missing a significant amount of what God is doing or will be doing in the body of Christ. And there's quite a number of things, but I want to focus on three things that come out of the text today. Now you read this text and you might think, well, there's not a whole lot of teaching here. There's not a whole lot of things that that come there, but it's actually quite significant. He starts out, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. For quite a number of years, the church of Jesus Christ has been built around people seeking their own interests, seeking what they thought was important. And it goes around with with some churches developing a a completely seeker-sensitive or seeker-oriented model uh, of church where they build all the church not around the gospel, not around what the scripture says, but around the felt needs of people. And by the way, there's some legitimacy in that approach. And not every church that uses part of it has missed what God is saying. But what it does, it promotes in people an attitude that I need to come to church because it's in my best interest to come to church. 
And we tend to talk about that. And we, we will tend to say that. And even I as a pastor will tend to say that. I'll find myself sometimes saying, oh, well, you need to really be in church because this is going to be good for you. This is going to really benefit you. This is really going to help you in some way. And I believe that it does. I really believe that it does. However, for too long, we've oriented ourselves towards seeking our own interests. And many times that comes through, we, we can sanctify that almost as Christians. And I've seen this happen where people will say, well, you know, I, I need to come and, and I'm going to be your worship leader. I can't tell you the number of times over the years I've had somebody come their first Sunday, they'll come up to me and say, God told me to come here and be, be your worship leader. I say, well, okay, well, that's very interesting. Uh, but once you start coming and attend here for three months, and then we'll begin to talk about it. And I never see them back again. Uh, and you get some people who come and say, you know, I, I've got to preach. I've I got to preach in me. And I, I've come here because I'm going to preach. And God sent me here to preach. And I say, well, you know, that's really good. But once you start to come and, uh, and be a part of the fellowship and maybe do dishes for a while first, and then we'll talk about you preaching. And I never see them again. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, people say, well, this is just my gift, and, I, and I've got to do my gift, and I believe that. I believe that. But as we exercise our gifts, that doesn't give us license not to do the other things that we need to do. You know, and we can't say, well, well, my gift is teaching, so I need to teach the Scripture, but I don't need to spend time in the prayer room. No, you need to pray as well. Or you say, you know, I, I've got a gift of prophecy, so I need to prophesy. Well, that's great. Well, exercise your gift of prophecy by knowing which dish you need to wash next. And then after you've done that for a while, then God will open things up for you. Because God will always test his people in this. Are you going to seek your own interests? Are you going to seek the interests of Jesus Christ? And a lot of times we can, we can hide this and we can even make our own interests sound like the interests of Jesus Christ. We're really good at doing these things as Christians. I'm good at it. Everybody's good at it. And the key is that we have to seek the interests of Jesus, not our own interests. That is our calling. And God is going to begin to give greater honor to those who seek the interests of Jesus. And God is going to bring greater opportunities to those who seek the interests of Jesus. And the interests of Jesus are normally found in caring for somebody else. The interests of Jesus are normally found in serving your brothers and sisters in Christ in practical ways. In serving your family in practical ways. And God will begin to build on that and expand that. And if you do the things that God wants you to do, oftentimes God will then let you do the things that you want to do. But if you refuse or fail to do the things that God wants you to do, and God doesn't always tell you the things he wants you to do from on high. You know, sometimes he tells it to you with your brothers and sisters around you. Sometimes he tells it to you just as you read the scripture and you say, oh, I never saw that verse before. I really need to do that. I really need to live that. But you've got to do the things that God is calling you to do. And that's the thing that Paul praised about Timothy. Timothy was a guy, he was a very competent teacher. Uh, at this point in time, he's hanging out with Paul. He is an apostle in training. By the time Paul writes uh, First and Second Timothy, 
uh, Timothy is acting as an apostle in Ephesus. Uh, So at this point in time, Timothy is an apostle in training. And Paul says, I feel confident sending him to you because I know that he's going to look after Jesus' interests, not his own interests. Because everybody else, and note the, the implication here of what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, you know, the other people that are around me, the other people that are in my ministry and in the influence of my ministry, you know, they're actually seeking their own interests. And notice Paul didn't command them to go away. Paul didn't try to judge them or criticize them. He just said simply, they're seeking their own interests. They're not seeking the interests of Jesus. He's not talking about non-Christians. He's talking about Christians here. And so the first thing that God is doing, the first shift that is happening, he's shifting the church from being the church of Jesus Christ. And by church, I mean capital C church, church around the globe. He's making a shift in the church from those who seek their own interests to those who seek the interests of Jesus. And one of the things that we need to do is say, God, show me what the interests of Jesus are in my situation, in this church, in my context. And know, note this, the interests of Jesus are not often convenient, they're not often comfortable, and they're not often easy. Sometimes they're very inconvenient, uncomfortable, and difficult. But as we fulfill the interests of Jesus, then Jesus will open up other opportunities for us to pursue those things that he's put in our hearts. Then Paul goes on to talk about Timothy. He says some more about Timothy. And he brings out the second highly significant shift that is happening globally today and something important for us to understand. Verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly... I myself will come also. The focus in really probably the last 50 years or so, even longer, frankly, uh, in the body of Christ around the globe, particularly in the West, has been on leadership. And I know this. I I wrote a book on leadership, obviously. Many of you have it. Uh, Probably most of you haven't read it, but that's okay. It's a big book, you know, know, so just pick a page or two a day or something like that, Uh, especially if you can't sleep at night. It's really helpful for a lot of people on that. You know, I I can say, well, I've written a book on leadership, but, uh, and that's been big, you know, and leadership has been important. And we have a lot of big pastors talking about leadership and uh, teaching about leadership and a lot of people talking about leadership and how we need to learn how to lead even more effectively. And there are a lot of people who are not within the body of Christ who are teaching on leadership and they all have something very, very important to say about leadership. But what we've done is we've almost created a cult around this leadership and say and, and suggest that the most impe- important people in the body of Christ are those that would be identified as leaders. And if you're not really a leader, uh, then you're not as significant in the body of Christ. And it's interesting, that dynamic. I just saw an interview 
uh, this past week with a guy named Francis Chan. You can Google him if you don't know him. Uh, Francis planted a church in California, grew to about 5,000 people, and then he left. He quit. He said, I, I don't want to be in a big mega church anymore because I don't want to have a church where everybody just watching me do my thing and they're not doing their thing. Uh, very, very interesting because he, he came to a point in his own journey where he had become an internationally recognized Christian leader and all of a sudden he realized that his leadership was not the most important thing for the body of Christ. That it was important for Christians to rise up and be the people that God had called them to be. Another guy that I admire quite a bit, uh, some of his theology can be a little bit dodgy at times, but generally I really like him, a guy named Leonard Sweet. And he's written a lot of really great books. Uh, one that I just picked up on discount uh, is called I Am a Follower. And Sweet himself has written books on leadership, and he's come to the point to recognize that actually what we as Christians need to learn more than leadership is followership. How do we follow well? And so we're seeing this shift in the global Christianity, not deny, uh, denying the value of leaders. Leaders are valuable. Leaders are important. They will always be important. And so it's not, it's not away from leadership so much, but it's away from a supreme value on leadership to having a supreme value on fatherhood. We're moving from leaders to fathers. And we're moving from followers to sons. Now when I say fathers here, I'm talking fathers and mothers. And when I say sons here, I'm talking sons and daughters. Uh, and by the way, when the biblical language talks about fathers and talks about sons, understand it's not exclusive of women. I mean, many of you who've been around, you know this. I've taught this many, many times. It's not ex exclusive of women, but actually it elevates women because in the day that Paul was writing, women, uh, men had a higher standing than women did. And by Paul calling both men and women sons, he's elevating women to the same standing as men. That's a little controversial, but... That's essentially what was happening there. And so notice what Paul says here about Timothy. As a son with a father, he has served. We've talked a long time in the body of Christ about servanthood. And I believe it's important to have a servant heart and to practice servanthood and even servanthood leadership. But the important no thing to note is that when we're talking about servanthood, we're actually talking about servanthood in the context of sonship. Because every son, every true son will serve his father. But not every servant is a son. And there's a lot of people who serve you who never intend to be your son, but actually intend to usurp you someday, take over from you. And so in the body of Christ, we need to see a rising of a generation of fathers, not a generation of leaders. 
We need to see an increase of fathers around the body of Christ around the world. And everywhere I've gone in the world now, everywhere without exception, is crying out for spiritual fathers. One of the reasons why the United States, I think, is going down in its Christianity, not up, is because the United States has a gob of leaders. I mean, in the United States, you got leaders coming out your ears, but you have almost no genuine spiritual fathers. Of the, the national leaders in the United States, over the last 50 years, I can probably count on one hand the number of men that I think were genuine fathers. And so we need to see fathers. And what's the difference? Leaders want people to follow in order to move their agenda, what they're called to do, forward. Fathers want to see their sons go beyond them. I've said this many times here at City Temple. I hope that every single person here goes beyond me in terms of your gift and your skill. And I hope uh, we've, we've heard Richard preach, we've heard Raya preach, they're great. We're going to hear Kwame preach coming up. You know, and I hope these guys become better preachers than me. I would love to see the day come when, uh, uh, when uh, somebody's coming up to me and saying, you know, Rod, you really need to let these guys preach a little bit more because, frankly, they're better than you are. You know, if that day comes, I will be proud of them. I will not be jealous of them. And I will not be sinfully proud of them. I will be righteously proud of them. The only thing that I don't want these guys to exceed me in, and the rest of you, is my character. Because I've been walking with the Lord for 43 years now. So if somebody who has been walking with the Lord for 43 months becomes holier than me, closer to God than I am, uh, having a deeper sense of wisdom than I do in the Lord, then that means that they're growing faster and I've stopped growing. And it's not a problem with their growth, it's a problem with my lack of growth. Oh, that is a father attitude. And, and, I, and, and I believe that God's called me to be a father. He told me that back when I was 33 years old, when he gave my vision for my life. Now, that's my passion. That's my desire. And the world needs this. Leaders are longing for it because there's a generation coming up that they need fathers so that they don't make the same mistakes that the leaders of the previous generation has made. And what happens in, when you have leaders and not followers, when those leaders no longer are able to lead because they get too old or they fall away because of sin, there's no one to step in their place. And the new leaders that eventually come up, they will make every single same mistake as the old leaders. When there's fathers in place, when those fathers get older, they'll stay in place. When they'll see their sons rise up, and they will be there for the sons to help the sons not make the same mistakes that they made. But that means, too, that before we can learn how to be a father, you must be a son. And if you're a son, that means you must learn how to serve. As a son with a father, Paul says of Timothy, he served with me to advance the gospel. And we must, in this shift from leaders to fathers, 
we also must make a, a shift from servants to sons. We must make a shift from those who want to lead to those who want to work, follow more effectively to see the gospel go forth in power. And that's the second shift. So the first shift that God is calling us to in the body of Christ globally is the shift from looking to our own interests to looking for the interests of Jesus, even if it's not comfortable, easy, or convenient. The second shift is a shift from leaders uh, and servants to a shift to fathers and sons serving together to advance the gospel. And then the third shift is found here in the story, the story, the, the story of, of Epaphroditus. Verse 29, 20, no, 25, there we go. Uh, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and he has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. Uh, And by the way, for anxious there, that's a choice of the interpreter. Uh, If I was translating that, I'd say less concerned. It's actually the same word uh, in the Greek, but... Uh, It doesn't make sense for Paul to say less anxious here and go on to say do not be anxious about anything in chapter 4. Just as a side comment there. Um, uh, Less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in in your service to me. The next shift that's happening, or the third shift that's happening here, is how we receive and honor people in the Lord. We've been in a season of time where honor is not very important. And what is honor? Honor is simply affirming the worth and value of somebody in the Lord. That's what honor is all about. That's why we're to outdo one another in showing honor. Uh, and it's, it's a lot of fun when you do that. Uh, when I make comments about Samuel's playing and how Samuel's guitar playing is so much better than mine, uh, I'm, I'm seeking to honor him and the Lord. I'm honoring his talent. I'm honoring his ability. Uh, and, and all those kinds of comments, those are all very, very important for what God wants to do. And as a people of God, we need to become people who show honor and who are seeking to outdo one another in showing honor. And where we've been at is in a place where we thought it's everybody's responsibility to criticize and complain. And so we've gone through a season, and especially for those of us who come from Western education, we're taught to be very critical in our Western education. And there's some good to that. But our tendency then is to criticize and criticize and criticize instead of seeking to honor. And even to expect that the bad things that are said about somebody are truer than the positive things. I've had a whole uh, onslaught uh, over the last few months 
uh, of people coming to me, and it hasn't been onslaught, it's been like two, but it feels like more than that. Uh, onslaught of people, not part of City Temple, coming to me and saying, oh, I saw this video about so-and-so uh, online on, on YouTube, and it's terrible. I mean, they're into the New World Order, and they're like doing deals with witches and things like this. And, 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 and these people are people who have an international reputation who have done many great things in the body of Christ that are being attacked like this. And the surprising thing is, is how willing and ready these people who are intelligent, Jesus-loving people are to believe the negative things that have been said rather than look for the positive. To go for dishonor rather than honor. To go for criticism and complaint rather than compliment and defending other people. And in both cases, by the way, I've done significant research in both of those videos, and both videos were academically irresponsible, uh, were setting them up, had so many logical fallacies that it was unbelievable. In other words, there was no real substance, and yet these were people purporting to be Christians bringing down other people. And we need to shift to a place of honor. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody is going to be right and everybody is going to be accepted uh, and everybody uh, is worthy of that honor. But notice what Paul says here about Epaphroditus. You know, he says, Epaphroditus is my brother. So the first thing he acknowledges is the genuineness of Epaphroditus' faith. He's a brother in the Lord. And not only is he a brother in the Lord, he is a fellow worker. That means he's putting energy and effort into advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's not somebody that's sitting around, but he's somebody who's giving his life in service of the gospel. And he's also, Paul says, my fellow soldier. In other words, he's defending the gospel. He's standing strong in spite of the criticism, in spite of the attack. He's standing there strong in the Lord, refusing to back down. And not only then was he uh, my, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, but he's also the messenger that came from the Philippians. The Philippians wanted to support Paul financially, and so they sent Epaphroditus on the journey to take the money because they didn't have uh, mobile phones back there where they could just simply do a quick transfer on their mobile. They had to send cash with somebody. It was a very dangerous thing to do, and that's what they did with Epaphroditus. He went, and he was their messenger. In other words, he was sacrificing to build up the body of Christ and to support those who are in need. And then finally, he talks about Epaphroditus' sickness. In other words, this man was serving the Lord to such an extent that he almost died. He almost gave his life because he got sick in this whole process. And so Paul is pointing out the level of sacrifice. And he's saying, look around and see those who have a genuine faith in Jesus, who are really working hard for the gospel, who are really standing up in the face of criticism, who are providing for the needs of God's people, and who are making a sacrificial commitment to serve other people, and those are the people that you need to honor. You don't need to honor somebody simply because they've written 20 books, or you don't honor somebody simply because they've made 20 million, uh, or you don't honor somebody simply because they have 20 YouTube channels, uh, or you don't honor somebody simply because they have 20 million uh, Twitter followers. You honor the people 
who are making these kinds of stands, most of which will never garner a headline, will never be somebody that is seen internationally, will never become a Christian celebrity, but they are there. And so we need to be seeking out these people, receiving them, and honoring them accordingly. And by implication, quite frankly, if I don't see somebody who's a genuine brother or sister in the Lord, who is really working hard to advance the gospel, who is a soldier facing a lot of criticism, who is meeting the needs, the practical needs of other people, and who is making a sacrificial commitment to the gospel, I will not trust them in their leadership. I won't dishonor them, but I won't trust them. I'm a point in my life where I have no time for anybody who has not suffered. And you should not either. The first thing you should look to anybody that you're going to listen to, how have they suffered? And you're going to have to really look for it. Because a lot of the genuine people will not tell you the full extent of their suffering. That's the first thing I always look for. What sacrifices have they made? How have they suffered? And then I'm looking to the genuineness of their faith. And I'm looking to how they've worked to advance the gospel. And how they've been a soldier. And how they've provided for other people. We need to move from a place of acknowledging the celebrities to a place of honoring the sons who have served well who are worthy of such honor and be sure that those are the people that we are receiving into our lives because we're going into a time where there are more and more and more false teachers out there even on Christian television we're going into a time where people are starting to dress up heresies old heresies in new clothes And people are starting to follow them. Christians are starting to follow them. We're going into a time, and we've seen this time, where there have been people who have done all kinds of quote-unquote miracles and mighty works, but actually the whole point of their message is leading people away from Jesus. There is that time that is upon us right now and so we must be careful who we receive and then make sure as we receive them that we honor them appropriately. Show them the honor that they deserve. We're in an exciting time, I think, as the body of Christ. God is doing amazing things. I believe that there will be a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And in many places in the world, it's already happening. I believe that we're going to see some amazing things happen in the body of Christ. And I believe that God has a future here for us, even a city temple. But we need to get ourselves ready for it. We need to look at our own lives and say, am I really going after Jesus' interests? Or is it just my own? And say, Lord, show me. Show me if there's a way I've been pursuing my own interests and not Jesus's. Even if I made it sound good, show it to me. Just open yourself up to the Lord. And if you find out that you are, there's no shame in it. Just say, God, I'm sorry I've done that. Help me to go after your interests. 
It's very easy because God's grace is on us. His grace is around us. You need to ask yourself, you know, have I been working as a, a servant? And have I been doing the things that I've been doing in the church because I'm a servant or because I know myself as a son? And if it's not been as a son, you say, God, I'm sorry. Show me how to be your son or daughter, authentically yours in the Lord. Just ask him. There's no shame in it. Lord, have I been going after leadership when actually I should be a son that's hoping to one day be a father? And if I've been going after the leadership and that's been my focus, Lord, how do I shift so I can learn how to be a son, a daughter, so I can be a good spiritual father, mother as I get older? By the way, if you grow up into spiritual fatherhood or motherhood, just remember that babies are messy. Those of you who have babies, you don't need that reminder, but uh, some do. And then ask yourself, who have I been honoring? Who are the people that I've received into my life? And you know, if you've received them from YouTube, or you've received them from TV, or you've received them from Christian radio, you've been receiving them into your life. And say, have I been receiving the right people? Have I been receiving people who are genuine believers, brothers or sisters in Christ, who are fellow workers, who are fellow soldiers, who are providing for the needs of others and really sacrificing for their ministry? Is that the people I'm receiving? And if it's not, then say, Lord, I want to I turn that away. You know, I've thrown away many books in my life. When I, when I see the, the person and I read the book or I, I see more about the person, I realize, you know, this is not somebody I want to receive. And so I've thrown away the book. I won't even pass it on to somebody else. I'll throw it away. You know, so who are we receiving? And then, have I been honoring your people the way I need to? Is there an honor that I've left out? Have I been more in the criticism and complaining mode than the honoring mode? And again, if you have, just say, Lord, I'm sorry. Show me how to shift and know that he will do that because he loves us. I want everybody to be part of the thing that God is going to do in this next season. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be exceedingly challenging. But most of all, it will honor Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for examples of people like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. Lord, I pray that as we worship you now, you just speak in our hearts and our minds. Show us if there's any way, Lord, that we've sinned, if there's any changes, corrections we need to make, then help us to do that by your grace and mercy. We love you, and I thank you, Lord, that you are a gracious God, that you are not condemning of us, but that you want us to be fully your sons. So we pray, help us, Lord. Give us discernment. Help us to be people who seek after the interests of Christ, who learn how to serve as a son with a father, most importantly, you as our heavenly father, and who learn how to receive and honor your people well. All to the praise and glory of Jesus. 
Let's all stand together.